Hey everyone, welcome to the Euphrates Network podcast. I'm Daniel here with my co-host Shay. What's up, Shay? Hey, how's it going? And here at the podcast, we are discussing in general culture, the Bible, religion, and how this all makes sense uh, in our 21st century world today. Also, we're talking about God's story that he's doing in the nations and how you can be a part of that. Uh, and uh, yeah, so our topic for today is uh, being Christian. We're going to ask some personal questions back and forth, throw back and forth between Shay and I, and we're going to talk about different things of what it means to be Christian and uh, how we can actually know if we are Christian or not. So let's get it started with Shayi. Um, all right, Shayi. So how long have you identified as a Christian? And what did you believe about what it meant to be a Christian while growing up? Tell us a little bit about your background. Yeah, so we, we've talked about this on previous episodes, but I thought just recap to kind of introduce this topic. Because, you know, like if you, I think, was it like 33% of the world identifies as Christian in some capacity? I think it's something like that, largest religion in the world. In America, I think it's still around like 60, 60 something percent. And so you would think based on people's like self-identification that, you know, all of the influence of the Bible and Christianity would just permeate everywhere. Um, but that's not really the case. And so, yeah, just for this episode, we're going to talk a little bit about biblically, like what does it mean to be a Christian? But just starting with uh, Daniel's question for me, um, I grew up in a Christian home, but I think when I was younger, I would have called myself a Christian um, at some point, maybe in high school, early college, the answer would have been more vague because the way Christianity was defined to me wasn't just kind of like this cultural self-identification. It was about a personal like commitment to God that affected how you lived. And so for me, that's what I like. That's why I would say like when I'm, telling people my story that I became a Christian in college. It's not that I didn't have Christian influence and it's not that I didn't believe in like the truth of Christianity before it was, that was the point in which there was an actual personal commitment towards God that actually affected how I lived. Um, and so that for me, we're, we're going to flesh that out a little bit more, but that for me is what I, when I identified as a Christian and this is what I believed about what it meant to be a Christian. But Dana, how about, how about you? Yeah, so I also grew up in a Christian home, and my parents were very devout evangelical Christians. And my dad, I remember him telling me when I was a kid, saying that uh, you can't ride on my coattails with faith. You need to have your own relationship. And I think that as an evangelical Christian, a lot of times we really emphasize that personal relational aspect of Christianity, the individual need of every person to uh, have a relationship with God. And I even remember going to church and back in the day, it was early nineties uh, and people would more dress up for church. A lot of people would wear just a white shirt and a tie and dress pants and dress shoes, not necessarily suit and tie crowd at our church but uh, my dad would wear a tie 
uh, when we would go and a lot of pe- other people would dress nice. And I remember seeing somebody who was not dressed that nice. And I just thought that they weren't very spiritual because they didn't dress nice. And uh, I talked with my dad about it. Uh, and I was like, you know, this person doesn't dress nice. I wonder if they're not taking church seriously. And my dad just brought it back to the point of you can be so dressed. You can be so sar- sharply dressed, but your heart can be far from God. And that kind of helped me to frame like what it meant to actually have a personal relationship with God, that it was about uh, the heart and not about the outward appearance. Uh, and, and so, yeah, I mean, this whole idea of, um, you know, personal relationship with God, I think is strongly rooted in uh, evangelicalism. And Shay, do you want to give some background about uh, what exactly evangelicalism is and how it developed? Yeah. Yeah, I actually noticed in previous episodes that word has come up, like where either you or I, mostly you, identified as an evangelical Christian. And obviously that's like a popular like uh, term, I guess, in contemporary culture. But the way you're using it is probably different, um, at least in your perception, in the way like a lot of, you know, people like the media or the culture use it. And so yeah, I thought it, it might be... To the media, it's just a uh, voting block. Yeah, it's a voting block. Exactly. And so, yeah, I think it would be interesting to talk about, like, how how did this category of Christian develop and why why is it that, like, many of us feel the need to use that language to define what we mean when we say we're a Christian, that we're evangelical Christian. And so, um, you know, if you look at history of Christianity, you know, like, like, especially in the West, you know, you had Catholicism develop around 300 AD with, like, Constantine. And then in the 1600s, 15, 1600s, you had the Protestant Reformation. And in the Protestant Reformation, the most notable um, leader, initial leader was Martin Luther. And one of the teachings that he um, basically popularized, obviously he wasn't the first person to say it, but he popularized it in a way that led to what we call Protestantism. And it's this idea that salvation is by faith alone through grace alone. And also it, it questioned the the authority and infallibility of the Pope. And so it was a major part of taking Christianity away from being just this kind of institution that you're baptized into and emphasizing like each individual has their personal relationship with God, the personal accountability of God through faith. And that that was a bit of a, a cultural shift. And I think it was one of the big things to come out of Protestantism. I don't know Daniel, if you have anything to add on, like, just the initial development on Protestantism. Yeah, I think just to add one thing, uh, there was only one uh, church, basically, in the world up until, like, 1100 AD, uh, when there was a church split, and the Catholics, the church in the West, the Latin church, uh, underneath the Roman uh, governing body, There were like five, this kind of maybe outside the scope, but there were five different governing bodies, uh, church government centers in the world up until 1100. And at 1100, the Roman governing body uh, split off from the other four that were in the East. Uh, And that's how we got the Latin church and the Eastern church. And then in 1500, obviously, Martin Luther came through. And um, as she said, but yeah, so there's 
you know, a lot of history there, which we hope to follow up with in a future episode. Uh, but then evangelicalism, I think, was first used uh, 200 years later by or in the time of Jonathan Edwards in the 1700s. Is that right, Shay? Um, I think it first started being used around the first great, great Awakening. So like, yeah, around the time of Jonathan Edwards. So Jonathan Edwards was a preacher from uh, Connecticut, and he was very influential in what is known as the first Great Awakening. And these themes that are uh, emphasized within evangelicalism stem from Martin Luther and the Protestant Reformation. And it's very big emphasis uh, on the um, the inerrancy and the infallibility of the Bible. And basically, evangelicalism can mean so many things. Uh, but I think if you put it the question to me, what is the one thing that defines evangelicalism the most? It's our emphasis on our authority is um, in the Bible and that the Bible governs everything and the Bible is our guide rather than looking to a earthly church government or something like that. Even, you know, the Bible bangers, that is kind of how we, I would just do a very brief cliff notes summary of evangelicalism, but I don't know if Shay, you have your own take yeah. on it. Yeah. I, I would, I would add the, the, like the authority of scripture and not necessarily um, that I don't know. I don't know if I want to get too much in like literalism versus historical context, but just in general, the Bible is the authority and like every word in it is inspired by God. And I would also add the idea that individual like people need to be need to have a born again experience. And so like, you know, after the time of Martin Luther um, and Protestantism that came out of it, there seemed to always be this like almost like two camps of people who like denominations that began to be just more institutional where your identification with Christianity was through your church membership or through confirmation class. Um, and so it, you know, it was kind of like an institutionalization of Christianity again. And there's always seems to be this wrestle of movements that emphasized again, that personal relationship, like what, Daniel, you said about what your dad said is that you you can't just ride on his coattails to have your own relationship with God. You know, people who, you know, oftentimes championed like historical evangelicalism, you know, that was their whole motto is that your church membership, your family that you come from, your confirmation class that you went through, your baptism as an infant isn't what qualifies you to have a relationship with God. It's a personal faith and trust you put in God. And so people oftentimes emphasize this idea that you needed to have an experience that in which you were born again. And that's, so it's historically what evangelicalism, that's what united it. And when you look specifically at the U.S., there was movements called the Great Awakenings, which really was the foundation for what we call evangelicalism today. You know, Daniel brought up Jonathan Edwards. He was one of the most notable leaders of that movement. Um, born in Connecticut, but a lot of his ministry was in Massachusetts. There was another preacher named George Whitfield, who, who was from England, but they ended up coming to the colonies before the American Revolution. And during this time period in the early 1700s called the First Great Awakening, they said that George Whitfield was the most notable figure in the colonies. And then second was Benjamin Franklin. And then third was, was Jonathan Edwards. 
So you can see how much of the influence of Christianity, specifically evangelicalism, really was what defined American Christianity of that era. And then moving forward, you know, late 1700s around, you know, the American Revolution, there seemed to be like an ebb, um, like a decline in Christian influence to an extent. But then the 1800s was called the Great Christian Century in America. And there, you know, denominations like the, I think the Methodist denomination was the largest, became the largest denomination in the U.S. The Baptists were really popular, um, grew a lot during that time. And these were denominations that really emphasized the personal born again experience and the authority of the Bible. And, and so like for certain eras in like the history of Christianity in the U.S., like evangelicalism was almost synonymous with Christianity. But what happened over time is that like people began to adopt ideas of Christianity where in which like we needed to modernize things about the Bible in order to just kind of like acclimate to contemporary society. So yeah, those, make it more palatable, make it more palatable. You know, maybe some of the miracles in the Bible didn't really happen. Maybe miracles don't happen at all. You know, there was no virgin birth, there was no resurrection. And so evangelicalism, as it was defined, um, a lot of times was like an attempt to preserve these traditional understandings of scripture against the influence of modernity and just like kind of modern interpretations. Um, and then so going into the, let's say the 1900s, 1950s, there was, you know, a minister named Billy Graham, where if you're, if you grew up Christian in any capacity, you know who Billy Graham was. You know, there was a period of a few decades where like every year he was on the list of like the was it on the times like most respected person list i don't know if you remember that anyways he he was just really um really well respected minister and he in a lot of ways kind of defined the modern iteration of what it meant to be evangelical today and his whole ministry was he 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 traveled and he preached and the thing that he preached is that people needed to have a personal born again experience with God. And so that's some of the history of evangelicalism. There was a, um, yeah, sorry. Yeah, and, one, and just one other thing for people who don't have, uh, you know, any context, maybe context, maybe you grew up non-religious, but one of the biggest differentiating things in evangelicalism and Protestantism really versus catholic or orthodox is that in the catholic uh camp and in the orthodox christian camp you go to a priest to confess your sins but one of the big things in protestantism is you don't need a man to confess your sins to you can confess your sins straight to god and we still have confession where it's like brother to brother where if i sin i should confess my sins to a trusted brother or a spiritual leader uh, you know, Shay, it could be Shay or it could be my pastor, uh, because we believe in confession. But the Catholics and the Orthodox believe that the priest has to hear your confession and then they will forgive you as the agent of Christ on the earth. And this is one picture that we could say that this is a huge difference uh, between the traditional Catholic beliefs and the Orthodox beliefs and protestant and then evangelicalism is a subset of protestantism yeah yeah and when we say when you say evangelical is a segment of protestantism 
It's such a hard word to say. Protestantism. Protestantism. Is that even a word? We should look that up. But no, it, no, it definitely, set, it definitely is a word. The Protestant. Yeah. But the, theme, the themes is important to like say when we say evangelical is a subset of it is that most of what we call Protestant Protestant historically would be much more um, consistent with what we call evangelical Protestant today in terms of like a theological definition of it. And it's it's a way it's like a term to retain like what historically was just considered Protestant and contrasting it towards Protestant movements that have basically changed some of their interpretations of scripture, usually to adapt to like the modern climate. And that's like, that's one of the most important things that you see consistently in evangelicalism. It's there's an emphasis on a personal experience with God, as opposed to simply being connected with like an institution. There's, and then there's a strong emphasis on the authority over the Bible and almost like accepting it as a way to resist kind of modern ideologies that seem to contradict it. Um, and so like, so evangelical, it's not a domination. You know, there's even be Catholics that will call themselves evangelical. It's usually mostly Protestant, but there'll be even be Catholics about it. It's more of a term to define what you believe about what's needed to um, have a relationship with God and what you believe about the Bible. And if you, if you look up, um, there's this historian, um, he was British, his name was David Bevington, and he he basically defined what evangelicalism is through this thing called the Bevington Quadrilateral. Um, it's kind of like a jargony term, but basically he's saying there's four different things that define evangelicalism. It's biblicism, so a particular regard for the Bible. Um, so that's what we're talking about, the authority of scripture. Crucicentricism, a focus on the atoning work of Christ on the cross conversionism that's what we talked about the belief that human beings need to be converted so you can't just like you can't just automatically be a christian by virtue of your upbringing you need to personally be converted to christ and then activism the belief that the gospel needs to be expressed in effort and so historically you know this is how I mean, me and daniel would mostly understand evangelicalism and this is kind of the historical context of how it developed um over time yeah, and I I just googled a uh, like a flowchart of Protestant denominations, and it is uh, not simple to explain. But if you want, go ahead and Google Protestant denominations flowchart, and you can have a good look of how from the early Christian Church to the Roman Catholics, after Vatican One of the papal infallibility, how that develops. So have at it. Maybe we can do a follow-up podcast on all the denominations that would be fun yeah no for, for sure for i don't know if it'd be fun for other people yeah, no. <laughs> i think one one of the things that's important to say about all the different protestant denominations a lot of times when people hear that because like if you're catholic right you know you believe that the catholic church is the one true church it's the one true church of god whereas if you're part of most protestant denominations it's not saying that our denominations are the only christians like you know, a lot of times it's just saying like there's a particular style of ministry, there's a particular theological emphasis that we believe is like better. And so that's why we've kind of created this like network of churches. 
So I think it's important differentiating to make because a lot of times when people hear about all these Protestant denominations, they think that they're saying that like every single sect is saying like we're the only true Christians. And there's definitely some people that are doing that within Protestant denominations, but it's not what most people are doing. So it's it's important to know that like <laughs> the church isn't as split as sometimes people make it make it seem to be on that part. Yeah. And theologically, it's not even that different it is mainly a uh, you know discussion about emphasis and of course that can lead to very different expressions but there was uh in the 1990s maybe it was i forget exactly when but there's something called the joint statement on justification by the lutheran church and the catholic church and it was basically saying that um theologically at least there's really no difference between the lutheran position and the catholic position on justification in terms of how you're saved there's a lot of sub differences and stuff like that and not all the lutheran churches signed it uh just as a caveat uh but the Luth- the lutheran churches are a s- subset of protestantism uh and uh yeah so just to that to say maybe you know, if you um, don't agree with that, now we're going to get into the weeds. But there's a lot of unity on the articles of faith within Christianity, mm-hmm. uh, such as we all believe Jesus is God. He died on the cross and he's coming again to judge the living and the dead. And uh, those are like the overall main tenets uh, of Christianity found in the original creeds. So, so you're basically saying Martin Luther, he started the Reformation for nothing. Is that what the Lutherans are saying now? <laughs> uh, I guess so. <laughs> but, I mean, there was, um, the thing is, yeah, the way the Catholics work out that justification is very different than the way that Protestant people work out that justification in terms of uh, thinking about it and kind of application but I guess what the statement is saying is that uh, in terms of believing in God uh, for your salvation by faith through grace, the Catholics don't believe that you can earn your salvation, but you have to rely on God's grace. Uh, but then after that, your works partner with yeah the grace. Anyway, I'm not sure if I'm getting that 100% right. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to be honest, like, I mean, I didn't, I didn't grow up Catholic. I've been in a Catholic church once for a, for a wedding, but like when people define the differences between justification between a Protestant and a Catholic, it's still very confusing for me. Cause like, you know, there was a, there was a documentary called American gospel where they basically said like, this is what Catholics believe. But a lot of Catholics are saying like, that's an absolute straw man from what we believe. You know, there's a, there's a lot of Protestants today, Protestants today that basically say what Catholics believe isn't as different as we as we think and like it's a lot of the details of differences are in like nuances and yeah i I really don't i really don't understand it to be honest let me just read this this is from good old google but the joint declaration on the doctrine of justification is a document created and agreed to by the catholic church's pontifical council for promoting christian unity and the lutheran world federation In 1999, as a result of Catholic-Lutheran dialogue, it states that the churches now share 
a common understanding on our justification by God's grace through faith in Christ. Uh, so to the parties involved, this essentially resolves the 500-year conflict over the nature of justification, which means how you are uh, brought into right standing with God, which was at the root of the Protestant Reformation. Uh, and so then later down, it says in Wikipedia, it was the support for the joint declaration was not universal among Lutherans. Later, it says some Catholics raised other objections. But yeah, basically, I guess it is what you said, Shay, that there was just all one big under misunderstanding. Uh, but the big thing in the Reformation was that Luther brought 95 objections to the Catholic Church. And among those were selling pieces of land in heaven that people could buy through donations and basically saying, like, you can buy your salvation. So the Catholic Church actually repented of a lot of these practices later. Uh, and, yeah, they changed their ways. But at the time, they were not willing to say, hey, we're wrong on these points. And they excommunicated Luther who didn't have any plan to start another quote-unquote denomination, uh, but he wanted to just make some reforms within the Catholic Church. Mm -hmm. So, Yeah. So it seems like at the end of the day, like for how we're defining being an evangelical, it's, I mean, I guess there's a question for you. Because I, again, I don't know a ton about Catholicism. Um, like, would it be possible to be an evangelical and be a Catholic. So be a born again Christian and be a Catholic. What do you think about that? Um, I would say that it would be would be difficult, I think, because the personally, the way I understand it is evangelicalism has to do with basically starting and ending with the Bible, whereas the Catholic tradition they take the doctrine of ex cathedra very seriously which is the papal infallibility where whatever comes from the pope this is also licensed from god and i think that there would be some tension and some inconsistencies there if people would identify as both evangelical and catholic now i think maybe what you're referring to is that you have uh catholics who have been filled with the holy spirit and they're charismatic Catholics, which charismatic just means that you believe in the work, the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit uh, to give gifts and to still speak today. Uh, but I think that there would be some tension with saying, hey, we should believe only in the Bible and what it says. And then, you know, the Catholics have a lot of other rules and traditions that aren't found in the Bible, like priests not being able to be married or the Pope not being able to be married because up until 1294, I believe, uh, Popes were able to be married and they made that rule because the church didn't have a budget to support all the priests who had families. So it was basically a budget decision. And the Pope said, Hey, now no more, uh, priests or anyone who serves in the church can be married. And so I, I, yeah, it's a longer, yeah. Either discussion. way, for for anyone interested in um, just kind of learning more about the, these differences between Protestantism and Catholicism, there's a really good YouTube channel called slash podcast called Truth Unites, 
with Gavin Ortland. I don't know if you know Daniel who Gavin Ortland is. His dad was Ray or- Ortland, if you know that name. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's really, really good for like fleshing this out. So I've been learning a lot through listening to it. But yeah, it kind of really digs into some of these things and how some of these things like um things within Catholicism developed. And he he's very gracious in how he communicates and debates with Catholics and it's like always really respectful. So I encourage you to check that out. But yeah, so basically what we're saying though in, in this episode is I mean, it's our background, like we're tracing how these things developed within Protestant world specifically. But I, I do want to talk today about like, okay, so we've defined evangelical and like notice how like when most people think of that word in contemporary culture, they're immediately thinking politics. And this whole time we've defined what it is, there's nothing political that we've brought in. Like really like most of what we're talking about is like we're talking about how we personally relate to God and believe about the Bible. Um, I thought I wanted to talk a little bit about what is it that ha- happened the last like half century that made it so that people's perception of this is more so as a political voting block rather than like a theological movement and a way of understanding like the scripture and the nature of being a Christian. Um, so I don't know. Have you noticed that that trend as well towards how people think about being evangelical? Yeah, well, I think uh, the last statistic I saw, 25% of Americans identify themselves as evangelical. And I think when we come to politics, we see that uh, the evangelical beliefs in, you know, the Bible and other things cause us to vote quite differently than a liberal person uh, would vote someone more like on, on the left, especially on the social left. Uh, and there are, yeah, I think it's a political thing because it's a huge number of people, 25 million in America. It's like, or 25% of America is a huge number. Uh, and so it, it has often been said that the evangelical right and when it comes to elections punches above their weight and so there are what it means is there are issues like abortion that are very passionately uh opposed in the way that we vote many people i know they are one issue voters even and evangelicals take some criticism for that and perhaps rightly so on some level but uh at the same time because you know can you vote on one issue that's up for debate but one thing is many christians who are evangelical will not vote for anybody who supports uh, abortion. And now we had the Supreme court case happen. So now the, the issue of abortion has shifted a little bit to more of a state's issue. Uh, But still people are opposing uh, certain legislation very strong. And I think that cuts both ways. On the one hand, some people can come in, and really use that voting block in order to get their own uh, agenda done by at the same time catering to the needs of the evangelicals while also getting their own agenda done. I mean, I think some people have done that very skillfully, like George Bush was a guy who he had a huge support among evangelicals. But then a lot of what he did when we look back on Bush's policies, a lot of us are kind of cringe when we see the way that there are a lot of war crimes that happen, 
uh, in Iraq and so on. Like we're not okay with that. Uh, but I think the whole conversation around evangelicals, even in the last election cycle, supporting Donald Trump, uh, you know, was a huge thing because evangelicals generally love Trump. Uh, but there are a group of evangelicals, evangelicals who really don't like Trump because of his character issues. Uh, but because it's such a large voting block, I think that it's constantly in discussion because uh, it's just a, it's a large voting block that has historically voted um, almost completely Republican. Mm -hmm. So, so what I think you're hitting on is that like the reason evangelicalism is associated, so associated with politics is that it seems like people, they pay attention to the demographic when it comes to, um, I don't know how the implications of their beliefs affect their politics. And so it's almost like it feels like when you're just having like a theological discussion in your church or whatever, people don't really think that much about the differences in worldview. But when it comes out in the forefront in political differences, that's where people pay attention. And so that's the lens through which people like that's the that's the window people get into the evangelical world. And that's why the political aspects of like their beliefs are so much in discussion. Is that kind of what you're, you're saying? I don't know if that's what you're saying, but it seems like that's the implications of what you're saying as to why people associate it so much with politics. Yeah. Because it is, it's a powerful voting block. Yeah. But, but it's a powerful voting block, but it's just like, it feels like people don't really discuss the movement outside of the political aspects. It's like, there's like I'll, I'll say yeah. there's there's a couple yeah. of things that we'll get an evangelical leader in the media saying something really strong about politics or having a moral failure, but like any, anything else is just kind of like you know you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean the I think that you know the general society or maybe the intellectual elites they look down on evangelicals for their beliefs that they believe are outdated such as you know we believe in miracles we believe in the bible we believe in god and uh, along with that is many evangelicals are in favor of legislating morality which the left does not want and then whenever there's a scandal or something the left wing media loves to talk bad about that leader because they want to say hey look you want this you want morality imposed but you're not even sticking to your own level of morality which is interesting because the left is using the bible as a moral straight line to measure up people's uh, jagged failures you know uh, it's interesting how they use the bible to criticize uh, evangelicals which to be frank, I agree with their criticisms of people, uh, you know, people who are like hip, hip, uh, being hypocritical. Yeah, hypocritical, of course. And um, yeah, like I, I have, you know, I know people very close to me who they're atheists. And uh, one of the biggest reasons they give is because when they were growing up Catholic, um well, they grew up Catholic and they just hate how the Catholic priests abuse kids in general. And, you know, some Catholic priests have abused kids. 
And what I said to this person was, you know, that God is just as upset and even more upset than you about this issue, that you actually agree with God on this issue. And that's the only time I uh, had a conversation with this person about religion, which he actually didn't say anything back. And I think that, yeah, anyway, that's another thing. But yeah, evangelicals are uh, always in always in discussion when it comes to, you know, their own hypocritical moral failures and then voting. So, yeah, yeah, it's interesting. One thing's I but one criticism of evangelicals that the liberals have, which I think is fair, is that we we don't really think through things that much. That there's just this kind of uh, initial knee jerk reaction to issues, uh, and we're not super thoughtful about our voting uh, and stuff. And I think that's one criticism that is valid. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I've noticed, um, especially among like millennials, Gen Z, is that there seems to be a lot less people who identify as evangelicals, even if they hold to like all of the beliefs of evangelicalism and go to a church that has a doctrinal statement that is evangelical. Like it seems like I mean, most most people I know, like in their twenties who are devout Christians, they would, they wouldn't call themselves evangelicals and they probably wouldn't even know to call themselves that if someone was asking for clarification, because to them, they're simply Christian. Do you think that, do you think that that trend is good? Do you think the label evangelical is important? Because that's something I'm just processing through and I don't know if I have clear thoughts on that yet. Um, I think, yeah, to be honest, I'm not really sure. Never asked that question myself. Uh, is it important? I will own that term for myself, but I'm a person, I don't mind uh, having a label. I know a lot of people are like, hey, don't label me. And I, I think that labels can be helpful uh, if you can, you know, look at it clearly and say, like, what does evangelicalism mean? And do I identify with that? And I think that when you look at what evangelicalism, being an evangelical means, it's belief in the Bible, it's belief in the traditional uh, beliefs of the scripture. And it has a, like you went through those couple doctrinal things, um, you know, like Bible centrism, the focus on the cross. Uh, I identify with those. And I think that it's, yeah, I think it's not a term that we should shed lightly, uh, but I understand people's desire to just say, hey, I I don't want to label. I just follow the Bible and I have my own personal relationship with Jesus. But that's also a good summary of evangelicalism. Yeah, <laughs> no, well, that's that's the thing. You know I mean, it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a cycle, you know, like so many people, they don't want to be labeled. But then when you ask them to little, go a little bit deeper on what they believe or regarding any label they end up kind of just describing the label yeah exactly so it's kind of unhelpful to shed the label yeah exactly it can be confusing when it comes to communication um yeah it's like i i have a lot of sympathy towards um just kind of shedding the label so i i 
the way we talked about and define what evangelicalism is, it it fully explains my beliefs. But I I have sympathy for people, um, just in younger generations, who feel like the the marriage between holding to being an evangelical theologically with some of the political implications, like I feel like there's a good proportion of people that either don't want to own that, that like they, you know, that they have these political beliefs because they believe in the Bible. They just don't want that to be something they're known for, or they just aren't sure that all of the political beliefs that mostly get identified with evangelicals, they're not sure that every single one of them are a natural implication of holding to an evangelical understanding of scripture. And I have a lot, I have a lot of sympathy for that because for me, when I think of myself as an evangelical, I'm usually quick to distance myself from, you know, some of the political implications, like full disclosure, I am more conservative, but I simply don't identify with kind of the evangelical right as like a cultural identity. Like, I just kind of feel like it's not, I don't really belong to that tribe, you know, if that makes sense. Well, that's because you're an intellectual. <laughs> what is, what is that? <laughs> not the knock on it, but just, uh, not the knock on the evangelicals, but I think that one reason why a lot of people don't want to identify with that is because of uh, weaknesses within the evangelical camp, such as I'll name two. Number one, uh, there's a lot of hunger for political influence in the evangelical camp. Number two, there's a lot of uh, laziness on the intellectual front. I think we have to be way more diligent with thinking through theology and issues uh, and not just, you know, like actually um, just spitting things back out as we hear them. Because, I mean, I, I remember you saying one thing um, like, because you're in, you're in the academic world, Shayi, where just like you said, the way that evangelicals sometimes treat the scientific community as just like you know arrogant people who don't know what they're doing uh, that can come off uh, to the scientific community as very off-putting and kind of can close them to even like uh, conversations around Jesus but uh, if you just give the scientific community some respect and credit for like the work that they're doing as like a you know human being to human being uh, they're actually quite open to spiritual conversation, they, right? You think yeah, for sure. that's accurate? Whereas like we think of a scientist, we just think of an atheist. So I think those two things is political, political power. I mean, I remember seeing Instagram and Facebook about the evangelicals. They loved worshiping in the White House with Donald Trump, like way too much. You know, it's just like, <laughs> you know what? These people are enjoying this way too much. Like go to the White House and don't post about it on social media. You know, but no, like probably some people did, but I doubt hardly anybody did. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like that. And then the intellectual side of just like, you know, let's just bang on the Bible, not think about it too much. It's definitely true. But at the same time, there's a way to conduct these discussions around intellectual ideas, such as science, I think that can yield more fruit. Yeah. And I think that's why people, they don't want to directly take on that label even though they they are that thing yeah yeah 
and that's and that's the struggle I've had. But I would say that it's I think it's still an important label to reclaim. And we can talk about this on um, the next episode that we do together. And the reason why I think it's still an important label is that we need language to differentiate what we believe is true about Christianity from the influence of progressive Christianity. And we'll flesh that out more in the next episode that we have a conversation. But um, a lot of people define progressive Christianity differently. I'm not primarily using it as like people who vote Democrat. I don't mean progressive in the political sense, but progressive in the terms, in the way that they interpret scripture. And I think it's really important that we, when we're defining Christianity, we're separating it from like people who are adopting what like ways of interpreting scripture that it basically just ignores. I mean, my we'll flesh it out more, but basically just ignores and marginalizes most of it to make room for every type of modern ideology while still retaining the label Christian. And I think that's something that it needs to be very clearly differentiated when we call ourselves Christian, how it's different than people who still maintain the label Christian that are adopting these ideologies in, our, in the modern era. And it's like, you know, movement's really growing a lot and it's it's not a new thing. And it's a reason why evangelicalism as a label was developed historically in the first place. It was to differentiate from the ways like the modern ideas of the world were causing people to corrupt their interpretation of scripture. So next time we talk, we're gonna talk more about that and why we think that evangelicalism um, it's still really important to understand what it is. And, um, you know, because at the end of the day, we think we're, we believe that we're defending the the essence and the core truths um, of Jesus's teaching. Amen. Great. Well, we'll see you guys on the next episode and take care, everyone.